0: You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. There we go. And we're live. It's 802. Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, If you're listening uh, to the audio on podcast, then this is actually um, recorded live on YouTube. If you didn't know that and you want to join us for the live recording, then just head over to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel every Tuesday at eight o'clock UK time. And you can watch the video being recorded, which I often recommend. I mean, I understand a lot of people got other things to do with their Tuesday evenings at eight o'clock. But if you want to come and ask our guests questions directly and kind of network with other soft tissue therapists and learn a little bit about the Sports Therapy Association, then you're welcome to join us. Just head over to YouTube. Um, but if you don't and you just prefer to listen to the audio, then that's great as well. But I would request that you, if you do enjoy what we do, just leave a little, well, I say a little, leave five stars, go the whole way. And maybe a review as well, because it helps us appear higher in Google rankings and just helps spread the word of our good guests. So that'd be really great. Anyway, so um, we are continuing We're part three of the month's focus on the foot and ankle um it's been a fantastic month so far thank you as always to people who have um emailed in um we did we started off with a look at foot anatomy uh, anatomy rather anatomy i don't know what that is foot anatomy um and then we moved on last week to looking at uh, plantar fasciitis or is it um, with uh, Ian Griffiths and Maddie Tate. Um, that's uh, definitely generated some interest and a few uh, questions, which is always good. And then tonight we're going to be looking at the evolving foot. Um, why are we looking at the evolution of the foot? Because, well, I'll leave that out to my guest to say, I'm not going to tell you, am I? Uh, before we do that, um, if you do want to catch up with us, then obviously all you need to do is head over to the YouTube channel. Um, let's put that on a little bit bigger so you can see it. Head over to the YouTube channel and you'll see all of our episodes as, lo- as well as the WIST episodes, the Women in Sports Therapy podcast. They're up there as well. They're on number four at the moment. I think number five is being recorded. Um, Or like I say, you can go to any podcast app. If you go to the sta.co.uk, then you can uh, click on the links there. Isn't that handy? I've put on a little link for Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I've put a link for Pocket Cast if you're using Android. There are other ones available. Um, and um, whichever you do. And um, then let other people know about it. Share it. Like I say last week, uh, thanks again to Ian Griffiths and Maddie Tate. Uh, great episode. That's all up there and available to watch and listen to. Uh, but we are moving now on to a reminder that uh, in my mind that works so well, it looks like something out of Sky News, doesn't it? But anyway, COVID-19, rising cases. It's true. We mustn't forget about it. I did a little reminder at the end of the show yesterday, uh, last Tuesday, um, that cases are on the rise. So make sure everybody but particularly sta members that you are doing proper risk assessments and that uh, you are being responsible looking after yourself and looking after your patients if you've got any questions at all then obviously contact um, your sta regional rep or you can uh, email admin at the sta.co.uk if you're not quite sure what you need to be doing or where you stand okay so that's said and done very important stuff so moving on tonight very excited um james earl's and Lucy Wintle are going to be joining me very shortly. Um, James Earls has been um, requested um, quite a few times, actually. I should do like a almost a top gear kind of board, shouldn't I, of a number of times people request. But James Earls is definitely up there, and rightfully so, with um, a fantastic history of books, which we'll be mentioning shortly. Lucy Wintle is the co author contributor to Understanding the Human Foot, which is what we're going to be kind of be talking about tonight. So um, I hope everybody is happy. Um, I always say it, ask and I shall deliver. If there's somebody particularly you want on the show, then I will do my very best to bring them on to um, entertain you and educate you with their wonderful word. People um, are joining us in the Live Lounge. As always, if you have joined us live, I can bring your comment up onto the screen. So Gary Benson, founder of the SDA, is in here tonight saying, evening, everyone, looking forward to this one. Hope you're staying cool in this heat. It is very hot, isn't it? But I'm not going to play about that. Um, Nikki Mansfield, hi, Gary. Um, evening all sticky in it in true Nicky Mansfield style um, and then Catherine is also in here people are coming in so if you do like joining us live then think about it you don't have to come every Thursday every Tuesday but it's nice networking uh, Catherine Rymer says hi everyone hi Gary I'm not used to this weather I'm glad I was at work most of the day Catherine you love your work that's why you're glad you're at work anyway so there we go um that is enough of the housekeeping so what i think we should do now is bring up our guests james earls and lucy wintle you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast putting evidence back to soft tissue therapy hey james hey lucy hiya hi Matt. good evening how are you doing um Thank you so much for joining us. We've had a little chat off air actually because we're all very organised, weren't we? It feels mm-hmm. like I've been speaking already. You've already dropped some fantastic information for me, which I'm going to have to ask about again. But I do appreciate you giving us up your time. Um, Lucy, you're in Canterbury, aren't you? We were talking about Canterbury. I am. Canterbury. I am
1: in in Canterbury. Yeah, just gently boil, boiling away in the uh, in the east of the county here.
0: How? Because you are at Canterbury Pilates. You're the owner and founder of that. Um, is that affected by the weather? Do you find people not quite turning up? Very, as much as very definitely.
1: Room? Yeah, No, I think uh, it's probably not a good idea to come for an hour uh, to Pilates and just go home feeling worse yeah. than when you came in the door. So, yeah, yeah the, the, the mat work classes have been knocked on the head this week. It's not not applicable.
0: Whereas if you did mat, if you did Pilates in James Earl's air conditioned house, then uh, that would be fine
1: you would be you just... fine you would be fine <laughs> would be... Not... I'm,
0: I'm not <laughs> jealous no yeah. not at all Sadly, it's not
2: the whole house it's just just the bedrooms <laughs> <It's
1: not laughs> the whole
2: house. my apologies people to listen to
0: the podcast you can't see this It's another reason why you should try and come along to the youtube recording but if you just imagine in your mind a man who is well air conditioned and just sitting back with a perfect body temperature in this heat and that is mr james earls here in the studio tonight so there we go right guys so um the evolving foot very excited about this um obviously uh, when we mentioned a copy here that's going to be a little bit weird um can't quite see on the camera but the evolving foot there we go um understanding the human foot rather um fantastic book um released last year i think it was was it? Yeah. Lucy Contributor. Um, yeah. Fantastic. I mean, I've already talked to, to you a little James about this, but I mean, I'm a total geek when it comes to anatomy books. I teach it myself and I'm not just saying it because you're on screen and I feel guilty otherwise, but it's really, and I know this is your intention. It's really laid out in that midpoint between being too basic. So you're not really getting enough information and too complicated where it just looks yawn, yawn. And you've hit that middle, the way it's designed, look, the images, the photos, and of course, your writing style, Um, a great book. And if anyone listening in the lounge has, I know a few of you have already read it and have got it, but feel free to leave some comments here if you want to uh, congratulate the authors themselves, um, Mm -hmm. and that'd be great. Um, Has it met with the acclaimed success, which you hope and expected? It, thankfully, it
2: has. Um, We had a, a very nice review in podiatry today, I think it was. Um, so I'm a little. I'm always a little bit nervous of it going across into other professions, because um, I'm not. I'm not a podiatrist. I'm not a specialist on foot. Um, so to have it uh, read, reviewed, and then the review published in a in a in a professional journal it was like that was a little bit kind of nerve wracking. But it was a very very pleasant,
0: very nice, uh, good review. So um, yeah, we were happy so modest to make it sound like it was a little experiment you wrote from your bedroom but in actual fact um it's not the first book you've released and people will, will know you maybe even more for let's bring up a little bit of picture here when i put this on full screen we'll still be able to hear you both so um don't worry if you can't see yourselves anymore look at that little thing i put together i can send you the slide if you want so <laughs> i know that people in the sta have um read uh, born to walk a lot of you when you mentioned me one james born to walk came up um, but then also you're well known for the fascia release for structural balance uh, written with Tom Myers, um, so much so that that was actually I found on Amazon. Uh, it's I found it in German, I found it in Dutch, um, and I found it in what was the other one? Uh, German, Dutch, and Spanish, of course. In um, Equilibrio So yeah, um, very successful books, a long history to you. Um, and and I'm springing this on you. It wasn't kind of set mm. up, but people, if you are interested, and I'm getting no commission out of this. Um, but there is a James Earl's collection two book set now available on Amazon, which I think is just a again, I'm trying not to sound like a shopping channel here, but you can get both of them for twenty-three ninety nine. If you're going on a holiday, which I know a few of you probably are and you're looking for books to take with you, then there you go. Bam, twenty three ninety nine, and you've got more than enough um to entertain you round the pool. Um so yeah, I was I thought that was an amazing deal, which I had to which I had to share um and we're gonna be talking mainly about this one understanding the human foot um there you go picture of you both of you on there what was it like contributing to that how did you meet lucy how did you share time with this man and then end up contributing i
1: i met james when i went on the structural integration course uh probably about 10 years ago and um i i then sort of tapped into several of the courses that he was doing and my training kind of veered off into a myofascial uh stream so I went and did a a lot more movement uh myofascial work for movement therapists rather than um for um a massage therapist so I'm not although I do and can do massage therapy I much more approach um, my work from a movement perspective so that's how I met James and then I think maybe a year ago he he said to me one day, "Would you like to do a chapter in my new book?" And I was like, "Oh, I'd love to." Uh, I don't know enough. I don't I don't know enough. What am I going to do? Help, help! So, uh, but I realised that what I had to do was draw on my wealth of experience with teaching and actually seeing people who come through the door um, and how to take a lot of the um, stuff that's written in the anatomy books and and james's books and, and just apply it to everyday people and uh, exercises which everybody can do without making it too complicated
0: that's lovely it's lovely to hear that initially even somebody with the amount of experience in the years which i think we're talking about a couple of decades now aren't we of pilates yeah
1: about 22 <laughs> 23 yes <laughs> there we go that makes me sound old don't say that. <laughs> uh, well
0: i know i never know whether to say that or not but um yeah the fact is yeah all that experience and yet still you're kind of click clenching your knuckles and thinking oh my god how can i do that but yeah worth wealth of experience and in pilates as well i mean we've had um uh, what was the name raffi bender came on of the elephant pilates podcast who talked a lot about how pilates has changed and how contemporary pilates isn't really contemporary anymore even though it's kind of taken the name and so you've had to see a lot of changes and did what you learned from james um kind of help you evolve as a Pilates teacher as well? I,
1: I definitely started to look at the body in a very different way. <clears throat> I think possibly my training initially and my teaching up to that point had been maybe quite isolated and stilted uh, and wasn't uh, it, yeah, it wasn't integrated. And um, knowing what I knew from the structural integration course and looking at things from a very um, tensegrity point of view changed everything I did and And I just became also much more aware of the fact that um, lying my clients down on a mat for 60 minutes wasn't really going to to help their functional ability um, through their foot using gravity using ground reaction force so uh, it's kind of interesting to see once you bring people onto their onto their feet if they've very strong in other areas how they they just can't balance and they can't stand on one foot so that's the bottom line I'm afraid to say that it is very obvious that a lot of people find that very very challenging so that's when I started to re-rewind and and go off on a different tack.
0: This is all music ears, isn't it James this is like exactly <laughs> what you want to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah so yeah thank you for bringing all those, those slides on me so um yeah thank you. <laughs> um yeah it's 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 wonderful and um, it's um so I, I can trump Lucy I've been doing it for, for even longer than, than Lucy so it's this is my 30th year this is my, my kind of anniversary so it's um likewise it's been a kind of evolution for me through through my career of you know starting with I started with the room therapy massage and then got frustration frustrated by the limitations of that so I started adding more remedial work and then got um, got involved with the instruction integration, the anatomy train school, and then thankfully I was uh, introduced to the Gray Institute and the functional movement. And for me, that was that was the, the perfect blend of being able to kind of take the, the, the myofascial vocabulary and kind of the, the understanding the, the the structure and the, the depth of anatomy that that Tom Harris would teach. And then to see it in a different context with the, the Gary Grain, the functional approach. And he just took to my mind what many people talk about in terms of tense equity to kind of into the into the real world. It's like, wow, that's that actually makes sense of anatomy. It's like it's it's in context. And and that was really when I started kind of thinking, getting frustrated. I, I did the gift training with him. And I had so many moments of anger. And frustration and disappointment of why the hell had it taken me twenty years yeah. to hear some of these stories and some of this approach to anatomy, and you know I'm I'm not alone in not having heard these stories. So you know that's that's where I, I try to place myself in that kind of that, um, that as you mentioned at the start, the, the middle point between the the, the dry detailed anatomy and the kind of the, the very loose let's let's just go and move and play which kind of happens sometimes in, in certainly in some areas of my world um and trying to, to interpret and put things in context and make things as understandable as possible rather than you know i'm, I'm sure you were taught initially way back in the day um be in a you just have to keep learning these just keep keep memorizing and eventually Somehow you will accumulate the knowledge that you'll understand how the body works. And I think you know, it's it's been my frustration of I just think we teach anatomy in the wrong direction. We try to understand the whole. That. Yeah, we under trying to understand the whole body by accumulating the bits. It's like well, I don't. I, if I'm you know my first day in anatomy class, I don't know anatomy, but I know what my body can do and I can see what other people can do. I'm you know, i was, I'm rambling on, but um, I think it was in your first, the first of this this series with um, Dr. Carly and, and Nick Knight. I just kind of said, such a cool name. Like Nick Knight. I, just, I was like, it's just like a superhero. You can just see him kind of going <laughs> off in, in into the telephone box and coming up with his underwear and micro. It's like, I think so cool. Anyway, what was I talking about? Yeah, I just think if, if we start with what we know of the body, and then we can add in the bits, and we can add and build the, the context. And so that's that's what I try to do with the with the book, and I'm trying to do with my teaching.
0: So oh, that's very long... successful. No, that's fine. No, no, it's very successful. And John W here. For, again, if it's the podcast, then I'll read out the comments that people are, are who join this live are leaving. with. John W says all mine are well-thumbed and reference. It's referring to your books, I'm sure. Um, Gave me a new look on muscle function from a movement perspective. Yeah. Um, and also, who else did I see? Um, Nikki Mansfield said, um, I love the foot book, which shall will now be referred to forever. I refer to it way more than I expected when I'm with and writing up my clients. I love that because, again, I'm hoping that some people listening to the podcast are, th- are thinking she looks at books while she's with clients. But that's another thing about anatomy, which I try and let my students know is. Yeah, you have to pass exams and tick some boxes and get your certificate. But there's absolutely nothing wrong in front of a client of referring to a book, is there, when you're kind of looking at something and, and showing them something. And I think your book's a perfect example of that. If you were trying to show a diagram or check something out, no harm in that at all. We're not walking dictionaries and encyclopedias. We have to mesmerize everything. And it would be impossible to do that for the human body anyway. So um, talking of the book, before I forget, Gary, Gary, Mr. Gary can't stop giving things away and emptying money out of my wallet is now send saying this and um, we are sending out three copies of understanding the human foot to lucky members who won last <laughs> week's prize draw exciting so there we go um thanks gary as always um don't forget if you are interested if you listen to the podcast and you want to get um understanding the human foot and born to walk together then just do a little search in Amazon.co.uk. there's a great deal going down right so right i've got some questions here um Oh, Nikki Mansfield has said, woo, 30th anniversary party round, James. There we go. Not the Nikki drinks, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's have a little um, look. At... Drinking, oh, <laughs> she's bound to have. So let's talk about evol- the, the evolving foot. One in your book. I mean, there's a fantastic introduction and then there's a whole chapter on the evolving foot. Is it a case that, and this is goes to both of you, so feel free to chime in whenever? Does understanding how humans have evolved and the foot has evolved help the clinician understand the foot, and therefore have a knock-on effect to what we're doing in clinic?
2: Obviously, I would say yes. Um, I think in in our in our profession, we 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 learn the details, and and they're absolutely necessary. We learn the tests, we learn this. And I tell a story of, uh, I was a, at a conference a number of like four or five years ago in Copenhagen and three or four presenters were on before me and still the audience went, we, we we, don't want to look at all the detail if it was some, kind of someone with a shoulder problem, the knee problem, whatever. It's like, well, I'm I, I'm not interested in just that. I, I want to get to the cause. I need to see the rest of the, the, the body. I need to, to get to the to, to the true cause as opposed to just the, the symptoms and just the area that's that's kind of under threat, and you know, the audience were, were excited it was like yes yes absolutely can approach and kind of functional process and understanding the body and yes 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 and that story kind of went on through with different presenters for the first day and the second day the same presenter just turned up and went okay so now let's look at the SI joint and let's look at all of the tests for the SI joint and let's look at all of the assessments and then the treatments and all of the differential diagnosis of the SI joint well, hold on to me there's a weren't you listening to yourself yesterday about the connection and the interaction and to me it's a it's a lack of resources that, that, that we don't have of the ability to see the interactions, so to go back, jump back to something that Dr. Emma Carley mentioned. So, well, you know, she mentioned three of the kind of major things that changes the, the evolution of the foot. One of the, the main things was the, the adapted big toe. So um other apes and other primates, monkeys as well, have an opposable big toe. They can grasp things. And for some reason, ours is straight. It's kind of it's all you know, all five toes are pretty much in line. And you know, if just saying that, there's a that's just a fact. That's just a. It's like, well, oh, okay. But for me, it's the interesting bit gets to the why, and so what. And to me, well, that brings not just the all of the toe joints, the metatarsal phalangeal joints, in line with more or less with one another, but it brings them in line with the taller joint. Also brings them in line, plus or minus, with the knee joint. Also brings them in line with the front of the hip and all of the the stable, strong structures that are there. And then there's also not just the change in alignment, but it's also the increase in the range of motion. So we can roll through our foot relatively straight into that toe off position. And as we progress into that extension, we've had movement through the talar joint, we've had an easy movement through the knee, and we've had an easy movement that helps to load the structures at the front of the foot, or sorry, front of the hip. And so it's not just, you know, I, I know I wrote a book about the, about the foot, but it's not just the foot, the, the, the forces that will be received by each of those other joints are somewhat dependent on the alignment of the big toe. And unless we've kind of gone through the story, it's like it's just another fact. It's like, well, why do we walk the way that we walk compared to other primates? It's like, For me, I, I learn a deeper appreciation, uh, therefore a deeper understanding of the foot, of our structure, our anatomy, and why my clients might be coming with just a, a, a repeated grumble around the front of the hip. It's like, well, if I just keep looking at the front of the hip and doing all of my wonderful assessments by the front of the hip, if I don't know that actually we have an aligned big toe, then I'm not necessarily going to think, well, I need to check toe extension, perhaps.
1: I think that's quite important from a teaching point of view as well. Um, You're asking people to do um, an exercise, for example, which involves toe extension, um, telling them the story of why that's important, what that relates to, why that might affect their gait, why if they've got stiff hips, they might want to look at their their big toe and, and how you build up the story within a class, starting at a basic level and then increasing the intensity of the exercise to see where their tolerance level is or what works and what doesn't. But it's always, I think, and I, I think I've learned that very much from James, it's about the story. So the story that you're telling them and the story that they are feeling and, and the, the journey they're going on through that um, sort of essentials event journey. It's
0: very interesting. And, and and that's the style that the book and books looking at both of them that I've read um are uh, are written in. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you say like for most people the story is the way to help someone understand and appreciate and they're gonna go home and do the exercises you suggested because they get it. But when we go to traditional teaching no storytelling no 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 no. you're going to hit them with a really long latin word you're going to start learning all these bits divide it down say what's rubbing against what and why it's not working and then give them some exercises thinking yeah you know, they're bound to do these exercises now i've explained to them that there's a problem with this and that but as kids we grow up learning things from stories don't we it's the best way it's, mm-hmm. it's play and story isn't it to make an adult even an adult appreciate what's going on so why it's and
2: story it's also having a, a comparison that's a for me the the anatomy that i suffered through in my teaching or my receiving of teaching was just these are the facts these are the facts these are the facts right so if i try to use and this kind of evolutionary anatomy was for me is really comparative anatomy if i have something to compare it to so if you, you know just looking even at the, uh, the the tibia and fibula of a chimp and compared to a human so well it gives me a another story. It gives me another hook. It gives me an appreciation of that. Oh, we are we are arranged this way because we can do this, and we can't do something else that the, that a chip does. And it just helps my appreciation of form. I start seeing that the whole, um, all of our anatomy, all of our body, in a in a better, more functional kind of light. Right.
0: Beautiful. Don't forget, people, right, asking questions if you want to. I'm keeping my open. I often forget about you guys who've joined us in the Live Lounge. If you've got any questions, feel free to send them through. Okay, so we've got like non-opposable big toes. Let's not call it a hallux or anything. Let's just call it a big toe. Um, let's let's have another one. Give me another one. Something else looking at the evolution of the foot, which is significant and, again, might form a nice story to help our clients appreciate what could be going yeah. on if they come to us with an issue. One of the most...
2: Is- it was a bit of a theme in the book as well, is the, the tibial torsion. So if if you compare so it's a, it's a you know hopefully many people are familiar with tibial torsion assessment, it's just checking the, the the number of degrees between the uh, two malleoli. Um we have a laterally rotated tibia relative to all of the other primates. You know, well, okay. Um, but so what? It's not, well, the lateral rotation of the tibia, and so if you're familiar with the, the idea of tibial torsion, and well, if some people are more laterally rotated, they're more likely to have a more supinated type foot. And if people are less torsioned, they have a more neutral kind of um measurement between the two malleoli, then they're more prone towards a pronated type foot. and um, and that that helps us also think about the the way in which the, the tibia fibula rotate during movement. So lateral rotation of the tibia and fibula, so lateral rotation of the of the leg is related to supination or that creation of the, the rigid lever or the um, toe off position. And a medial rotation is more related to a pronated foot. And so well if the primates have a more medially rotated tibia, then that's obviously that they're going to have a flatter foot. So one of the other things, one of the other three that uh, Dr. Colley mentioned was the, the the increased arch height. Well, well, we have an we have an arched, domed foot. We also have a laterally torsioned tibia. Well, oh, lateral, laterally torsioned tibia leads to supination. And supination is an increase in arch height, or however you want to, to word it. So again, it just helps to tie up the, the stories and see the.
0: The, the linkages. Mm. Very nice. I'm just taking that all in. Lucy, feel free to jump in if it goes Yeah, right.
1: no, no, absolutely. I think also from a movement perspective, um, and a lot of Pilates teachers probably will be using equipment such as reformers, etc., etc. But always looking for that um, rotations in the bones or what the bones are doing. Just not thinking purely muscle muscle, but looking at the interaction of the bones and. Where you think the bone should be, and, and um, yeah, chasing it up or down the down the line to see what else it's referring to. So, just I I, li- I like that whole story of the bony rhythms and, and what the bones are doing when I'm teaching, and quite often cueing that, um, you know, turning in within movement, trying to encourage yeah. that.
2: Yeah, and because as soon as we start getting that the tibial torsion story. And we go, OK, well, the tibial torsion, that's a structural story. But suddenly we can actually just, well, you don't have to torsion your tibia. We can't do that consciously. But if we're turning laterally, then what effect, you know, and that's, that turn, it's common. I, I use a, a, an exercise for most conferences and presentations, looking at your right hand and turning to the right and watching your hand as, as it turns. And you'll see your left foot pronates, your right foot supinates, And there's a hardwired reason for that. It's in the anatomy. But it's a surprise to most people. It's like, oh, hold on. If I'm, if I'm retracting my right shoulder, it's like suddenly my little right foot is supinating, my left foot is pronating. And you know we can even play with anatomy games. Well, how did you retract your shoulder? Well, I rhomboids, middle trapezius. It's like, yeah. So middle trapezius and rhomboids are... Mm, spinal rotators, spinal extensors, medial and lateral rotators of your hips. the so medial and lateral rotators of your knee, and the pronators and supinators of your feet. And this is the this is the for me this is the the reality of the the body. And so again, we just kind of start building up from just those building blocks of okay, well let's compare a chimpanzee and a, and a human tibial torsion. You know, you've got, got clinical. Um, assessment but it's also then kind of it gives me the hooks to go okay now I understand function so I know that if I'm turning one tibia laterally that associated foot will supinate. if I'm turning one tibia medially, then that associated foot will hopefully go into pronation Uh, can I just
1: just add a little a little story there to 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 that um But for James, when I first met him, uh, we were in a room doing that exercise where we were turning to the right. And he said, oh, I can tell exactly in this room who the Pilates teachers are, because everybody was keeping their pelvis still. So everybody was fixated with pelvic stability and just moving their upper body instead of integrating the movement. So it was like, oh, yes, rewind, rewire, do the exercise and actually feel it travel through the body properly. So it was a, a bit of a,
0: yes, a moment. He called you out, exactly. he? He pointed over in your direction and you're all the Pilates teachers.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's just testimony, yeah. isn't
0: it? We mentioned a little bit of this off air. Um, it's it's fine to change stuff, isn't it? I mean, a lot of things, especially when you're looking at like 5, 10, 15, 20 years, in our cases, of knowledge that we were given. Um, I think it's important. This has been a common theme with evolving as a therapist. We're not necessarily throwing everything well we're not at all throwing everything we've learned out whatsoever it's just gently tweaking isn't it like you say not fixating so much on keeping that neutral pelvis whilst you're moving the upper torso anymore allowing a little bit of movement and realizing that could be stability and did have you in your careers and i think yeah have you in your careers ever felt a little bit of fear when you've been told something that has challenged what you've told patients um or maybe even presented in conferences and you thought i've got to change that now how am i going to do that or maybe you've even written something and then you're thinking i've got to tweak this i've got to change it how are people going to accept me if i'm changing my mind has that been something that you've both experienced
1: yes definitely (laughs) yes i think anybody who said no to that would be possibly telling an untruth but yes there's so much information isn't there that you 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 have to choose how you use it um (laughs) And I've had no qualms in going back into my classes and saying, OK, we're going to approach this in a different way. I might not do it straight in one big piece, but I might drip feed it in. So they're not completely aware of the, the massive changes. But, yeah, I think it's very important to be honest and to, to, to realise that you're on an ever evolving learning journey.
0: And how do you think your class respond? Because a lot of therapists, it's kind of one on one. But you're talking about going in and maybe saying it to 20 yeah. people at the same yeah. time. So, uh,
1: yeah, it, it's um, it, it's I think I have in recently completely changed the way I work in some of my mat work classes. I would say probably uh, in an hour's class, 35 minutes, sometimes 40 minutes are standing um, using various props and things, bits and pieces to improve balance and foot support. And I had to drip feed that in slowly. Um, but actually, do you know what? I haven't lost anybody and I've gained more people. So the realisation for them is that they are stronger, more stable. It's more beneficial and it's functional and they love it. So, yeah, I think you just have to tell them the truth, really.
0: Fantastic. And James, you you were smiling from ear to ear when I questioned <laughs> you. have had to, to kind of go back and change anything you've ever said?
2: Uh, Yes, there's probably a first book that could do with another revision um, that claimed that one could change a lot of structural and postural issues with a little bit of faffing about with soft tissue. Um, Some of that has been been, uh, rightfully challenged. And 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 also my, my thinking, my 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 approach has, has moved on from that, but um it's still out there and it's still selling some copies and it's still keeping the, the publisher kind of ticking over. Um and if it was my preference, I would probably retire that title. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's that. Um so that yes, in terms of the, the kind of yeah, embarrassing things that you one might have said. And then there's there's also the, the Pleasant surprises. So, in doing some research, it was actually after I'd finished the, the understanding the, the foot book, and I was like, "Oh, well, I, I should check—is there anything new that I can add to the story about toe extension the relationship to the front of the hip?" And I came across a, a for me a new muscle, and it was looking—I was almost looking at exactly the question that I was asking, is like the relationship of toe extension and what can happen at the hip. And they went, well actually it makes a difference, the iliocapsularis. i like I was reading the paper and I'm like, what the who what? I've never heard of the iliocapsularis. And it's a tiny little muscle that's inside within the anterior um, ligaments, the the hip, the capsule of the of the hip joint.
0: Oh, we lost. Um okay, so just lost uh, James temporarily, his internet.
1: Oh, probably the air conditioning, something to do with the air I think, yeah, yeah,
0: you can't do both. You can't have an internet connection. And...
1: And be success-
0: <laughs> Let's bring uh James back. James, we lost you for a second. I don't know yeah. when you realised that. I think it's. Yeah, yeah. I, I did.
2: I, I, I saw myself disappear. I was like,
0: uh, often.
1: We weren't We're rude you. about you.
0: No, we didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, sort yeah, of so, yeah, are used discovering stuff, yeah.
2: Yeah, so the iliocapsularis was a new one to me, and they were saying that. Well, if with changing, altering the amount of hip, regular kind of hip extension, change the, the cross sectional area percentage between the iliocapsularis and the rectus femoris, and there was a relationship between the dysfunctional hips and an increase in cross sectional area of um, iliocapsularis. And it hasn't yet evolved as far as i can see in the in the literature in terms of being able to kind of hone down into absolute cause and what to do about it but it's like, well it's definitely it's interesting to be able to see that yeah there are one well, muscles that we haven't yet discovered or different ways in doing the dissection and thinking about the body or thinking about the, the tissues and also then that that's um crossover into anatomy to function which isn't always the way that we teach. And that was very much in in, in part of the, the, uh, the, the papers that we're reading. It's like this is a, it's a functional problem.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, so I mean, I think, I like to think there's actually, we're living in a time now where there's actually admiration for people who have visibly evolved, like yourself. I mean, at the time when you were involved in the first book, it was like, great stuff it was like what was out there and you were, you know one of the people who were helping disseminate that information to everybody and there was nothing really out there to challenge it, well, it was a little bit of stuff and so much simple but no one was just a few people shouting at you so I think uh, I'm hoping that for people like yourself and I'm thinking of maybe Walt Fritz and other people who have had on the show you know it's not a total u-turn it's just you know what we've looked at a few things and maybe we can't do as maybe what we thought was happening when we did this wasn't quite happening it's something else involved here with with some other stuff but it's very rarely yeah. just throwing everything out is it it's just you're going to put more weight yeah. on other things you do yeah. you know? so it's healthy
1: it is definitely.
0: going back to the book i was interested in you had a, a lot of information on bones and shapes of bones I think it's always interesting, again, when I'm teaching anatomy, you again, you give the kind of five types of bones and you introduce the sesamoid bone and all that, and then you go into long bones and short bones, and aren't these nice and happy and everything's... You know, then there's the irregular bone, and I think it's kind of a weird shape. And then you come to the tarsus, it's like, what are these then? And you're like, well, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. yeah. kind of, again, is it is that is that testimony to the complexity of the foot, that kind of like it's difficult to name them all and they are very much different shapes? Um, yeah. Uh- Yes, and there are different shapes
2: And what I try to do in the book is try and make sense of the, all of the funky names and all of the the varied vocabularies that we use. Is it midfoot, rearfoot? Is it torsal? Is it mid torsal? It's it forefoot. And it's just it all. It's all. It's a mess because there's very little consistency, and even sometimes within a paper and within a book, they, they chop and change between one convention to the next. And to me, it's, it's no wonder that people get confused. So what I do try to do is kind of break it down and try to. Deliberately use as many of the vocabularies as possible. There's different ways in which you can break up the foot, and try to understand why. Why, why is the cuboid called the cuboid? Because mm. well, it's cuboid. It's it's kind of like a cube. It's kind of like you know, it's the early dice. Why are the cuneiforms called cuneiforms? Well, it's because they were kind of triangular, like the cuneiform writing of the the Babylonians and Phoenicians. So, you know, making those connections actually, you know, even to me, it's like, why are the metatorsals called the metatorsals? Well, because everything on the other side of them are the torsals. And meta just means beyond. So the metatorsals are just the bones that are beyond the torsals. And to me, once you start to understand kind of and, and break down the, the Latin, which is always a little kind of nervous making, it's like, well, actually, there's, there's a reason for it. There's a meaning. There's, there's a connection. You know, tibia just means floats. Fibula is a brooch pin, because um, it's, you know, the, the early brooches, the pins were just chicken that. bones, chicken fibula, and that's why, the, because, you know, if you ever eat the chicken leg, so to mm. get that really pointed pin-like bone, it's a chicken fibula. Oh, my God. It's this a brooch really... pin. And, you know, so, <laughs> again, so it's not just evolution of the foot, it's also evolution of the, the etymology, what's, what's why are things given these names? And that, that makes sense. And a lot of them are named because of their, their shape and because of their form. And so having that connection, it's like, well, yeah, again, Dr. Emma, um, Dr. M. Colley was talking about the, 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 the domed arrangement of the foot. Well, that, that happens because of that cuneiform arrangement. Mm. It's like, well, you've got those kind of wedges, those kind of triangular line of the, the, the three cuneiforms. And then you've got the well, the, the lateral longitudinal arch well that's kind of the stable bit it's like well what, it's stable it's like well why you know do you want a, a kind of wobbly triangle or do you want a kind of stable square bone it's like yeah let's stick a cuboid there you know we we heel strike well let's stick on the the is the most robust most dense uh, bone of the the foot is there so again just making making the stories you know having as many stories as possible makes makes a little bit more sense and gives us more hooks to go ah now I can actually understand as opposed to just that rope learning you've got 14 phalanges and two sesamoids and you've got five metatarsal. you know that it was again in in the first podcast we're talking about the the joke between is it 26 bones or 28 bones and it 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 irritated me that the the publisher put that on the I think it was on the back cover I was like that's anathema to me he's like that that gives me nothing. I don't I don't care how many bloody bones there are in the script. That doesn't give me any kind of hook, any kind of appreciation, anything. It's like big deal. I can I can drop that in the next conversation. I can put it on social media. It's like, Yeah, it's a wonder of engineering. Look, it's got twenty six bones and thirty million joints and hundred, twenty bloody whatever soft tissues. And it's like pointless.
0: So, sorry. Often a rant again. That's fine. You let <laughs> it out. It's good. It's kind of therapy <laughs> for you. It's, you off need to get it off your chest. Off we haven't closed you. I don't think. What about? I'm interested yeah. in. Um, so evolution of the shape of the bones. How has uh, how has the foot evolved in terms of the shape of bones when we did some, we'll at whatever point, decide to stand up for whatever reason? Is there evidence of how things have changed in order to accommodate that?
2: There's uh, there's kind of in some ways there's a lot and not a lot. So Mm. in the literature there's a lot of literature, and in terms of actual physical evidence and and um, remnants fossils, there's actually very little. Uh, For a number of reasons, one it's just they're difficult to find. It's difficult to actually uh, create a fossil, Mm -hmm. and. And also, and am mm-hmm. sorry for the image, but the hands and the feet were the, the least fond of any bones because they're the most easily predated. Mm-hmm. So anything that comes along okay. to, to have a chomp tends to take the mobile bits. And also when we get to the small bones, then it can be more difficult to different, one well, di- more difficult to find, but also more difficult to differentiate and trying to see it between, oh, well, is this a pebble or is it a cuneiform? Is it a phalange? I don't know, it just looks like a bit of dust. Okay. So so yes, there's a lot of discussion and the remnants that we do have, the fossil remains that we do have, do show and kind of the, the story that that Dr. Collie alluded to, the increase in the robustness of the the, um, the calcaneus, which shows more of a heel strike. Okay. The alignment of the big toe. This is where I say you have to then think about the two feet, because It's that alignment of the toe, big toe, and its range of motion, actually allows me to heel strike on the forward foot. Mm -hmm. So the two, obviously, the two changes have to kind of go together. So it's kind of the change in the left foot helps the change in the in the right foot. So we do see something of a progression of the the um, hallux adducting, the increase in the robusticity. Of the the, um, the calcaneus because it's is dealing with more shock. It's also supporting more of an arch through the. the I prefer to call, talk about the half dome arrangement of the foot because of the lateral rotation or t- of the, the the tibia, the torsion of the tibia. So all of those changes are happening gradually as a suite. There's a, a suite of changes, or a group of changes, and it's all seen relatively. Smoothly through the, the, the remains. And yes, there are gaps and, and questions and frustrations. Um, but yeah, the, the evidence is pretty much there. And especially when we get to, so some people might be familiar with the Australopithecus, it's not until we get to Homo erectus that we get really kind of a recognizable modern arrangement. And that's a, a modern foot. And that's particularly important because it's also a modern foot with a longer waist and it's the mobility of the waist that allows us to start walking and particularly running more efficiently. And for Daniel Lieberman, the the perfect professor in Harvard, he he was one of the the main um, references for Born to Run by Chris McDougall. Um, So one of his big points is that that we, we then took off as running man and woman person rather than walking person. So we start to see much more progression of the, the foot for running. So we get start getting shorter toes, which has no benefit, they say, in terms of efficiency for walking, but has a significant benefit for running. And mm-hmm. um, we get a longer waist. We also get uh, more development of the external, oc- external occipital protuberance and the ligament and at the back of the head for that deceleration, not just the, the nodding, but mm-hmm. also that, that deceleration of the running. So all of this, has to happen together and it's, it's one of the frustrations of of kind of limited time of well we need we want to talk about the foot but actually we can't really understand the foot if we don't understand the rest of the form the rest of the, the structure it all has to be seen in context
0: this is fine this is great and and i've mentioned this a couple of times on live videos because i had this idea and, and we are we, uh, the idea has already started of focus subject of the month we've had the foot and then in August um, after a couple of weeks with Mike Grice is going to be the knee focusing on the knee and then we'll do some of the hip lower back and to work my way up the body But I was conscious that um, I'm kind of like doing the human body a disservice by breaking it down into these individual body parts but so far the message has been exactly what you've said everybody who's come and said yeah we can look at that part but we've got to look at the rest of the body and not even just the rest of the body we've got to look at the psychosocial factors you know in the mind and the brain and everything like that as well so um, even though we are splitting these months into different parts of the body it's lovely that you you say this message that it's very difficult just to look isolate on one part of the body you're going to miss you're going to miss everything else aren't you um lucy i'm interested with pilates you mentioned you've got people um standing much more up in class i've always associate pilates with some wonderful um language and use of language and metaphors and imagery to help people kind of experiment and and feel um is there anything that you kind of use or you've seen work with some people with regards to appreciating um, using i
1: i say i would say i'm definitely a, um an imagery person mm. and um i i use that an awful lot in my i talk an awful lot in my classes i think that <laughs> so yeah i am I'm, I'm continuously trying to um look at what's working and what's not and give people a, a, an image if it's helpful to them. Obviously, people learn in very, very different ways and that's a completely different subject. But, um, yeah, I think it, it, it's it, you have to cater again in that class situation. You're going to have someone who will respond to your imagery. Somebody will have not a clue. Somebody will just be looking at you visually and just watching what you do all the time. So it, it's just you you have to be all things to all people, really. So, but yes, I think uh, traditionally there has been a lot of um, um, images to do with pelvis and mm-hmm. and yeah. But use what works for you and what works for your clients. I think that's the, that's the bottom line there.
0: I think it's one of the nicest things that I've personally benefited from from spending time with Pilates teachers and I have to teach a lot of exercise classes and a lot of the other teachers of Pilates. And even though back then it was kind of like imagine there's a bit of string on the inside of your belly button and you're mm-hmm. putting it in, that was kind of the classic. But it was just one of the things I learned from the Pilates teachers I hang around is is how well it's storytelling again it's getting somebody to get it by using an external cue maybe if you can and just that image with the foot I'm thinking of maybe like the three points of contact sort of thing or stopping people from scrunching their toes that was all different ways of doing it isn't there to
1: yeah yeah and also use of um massively with the foot use of a use of props Mm -hmm. so use of ball small balls Um, use of spiky balls um use of little wedges to stop somebody pronating quite so much if you Mm -hmm. want to drive their knee into a different just just being creative and Mm. um giving people a different a sensory um yeah sensory story really so i i do use an awful lot of stuff in my classes
0: i think it's good i think i think i've benefited in in being a soft tissue therapist of using that imagery because it's education at the end of the day isn't it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're working with people then you need to know how to get that information across and communicate so i think the imagery is really useful for soft tissue therapists as well um, yeah. we've got some questions coming in, if that's okay with you i think nikki masford has We're been just... right on one geez let me just scroll back 50 comments thanks nikki let's have a look so sarcastic oh, i'm sorry nikki um nikki mansfield says i've remembered anatomy so much more easily since learning why the bits and pieces are called what they are give me a story any day thank you nikki Uh, i have a non-bone related question here we go let's bring this up on the screen so nikki says show thinking of the importance of ground reaction force and providing energy for our plantar tissue to spring us forwards on toe off are crocs and sketches the most evil of all the tiny foot coffins? Okay, so getting into the crutch of it. Suitable footwear. Yes. There is a chapter in your book, isn't there? Um, James, mm-hmm. um, which you call design. What was it? I forgot what it's called now. You probably don't know. Design, design. design for living. For, yeah, it was really nice because it's not obvious from that that it's about shoes. And it was the last one in the book. But yeah, really nice chapter, which I recommend people have a look at. But yeah, different types of shoes. Um, okay, so Nikki's mentioned that crocs and sketches might be um something to do with coffins yeah the worst of the coffins so I'm, I, I agree
1: with that sorry yes
2: so in to some extent i yes I, I i both agree and disagree i think scanning down some of the other comments and if i if i understand the form and if i understand the function then any kind of change in the environment or so the kind of tools that that um that you use they just become environmental tweaks and they can be either good or bad depending on the client that i'm seeing at the time so if you know so if somebody has an, an, an arthritis if somebody has a, a helix rigidus and especially if there's kind of arthritis in there if there's a bunion if there's some kind of pathology then i can change the environment to offload that that area to actually give it some comfort, whether that's permanent or hopefully temporary, then that's fine. If it's a a full-on kind of, okay, this is what I've done every day of my life because I just like Crocs and and, Sketchers, then yeah, maybe we need to think about that because they are designed to kind of offload, they're designed to feel comfortable, they're squidgy, They, they do absorb some of the shock. I was like, well, the shock absorbing can actually be a feature that I want for a, dysfun- or a client in dysfunction pain. And it can also be, well, once they're beyond that, I need to kind of maybe reduce it. Or if somebody is having other problems and that I maybe think I can tie up to a weak, weakened foot so they don't have the intrinsic muscle strength or whatever it may be, then I might say, yeah, let's look at kind of getting rid of those and getting into something else. that will Allow your foot to move and be exposed to some of those forces. So some of those ground reaction forces are necessary to, to to load for the efficiency, particularly of running, less with, with, with walking. But also we need to be able to get into toe extension in order to capture some of that energy. Some, some of the shoes don't let us get into extension because they do the job for us because of that kind of toe spring and arrangement. So to me, they're all neutral, provided I understand the client that's presenting to me. Like they will have features that I can I, I can apply, I can tweak, I can reference or or refer in or out, depending if I understand the system and understand those forces and how that all of the form will adapt in that environment.
0: It's a great answer. You got to come back now, Lucy, and say yes, I agree. Yes. They're the devil's sport. Yes. No, no, no,
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm a, I'm a barefoot um, barefoot shoe person. Mm. As much as possible. Having said that, I have got three pairs of Birkenstocks just over there, which I won't admit to wearing very much. But no, I, I because I'm teaching a lot, um, form and function of the foot, and trying to increase toe strength and and toe extension. I, I like people to be able to feel that. But obviously, if I know that it's 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 um, contraindicated, if I know that they've got pins in their feet, or that uh, I would say no, no, not for you. But I do encourage the, the use of that and I just think it's a completely different walking experience when you have a pair of, of something with minimal support on it's it's a yeah a sort of true experience but I wouldn't just launch somebody straight into that I would try and prepare their foot before with 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 exercise prepare their foot before they get to that stage
0: That's a good answer as well yeah no it's great so uh, basically the message is it depends on the person and what if they're injured what stage of the injury they are and I think it was Craig Payne, um, co-presenter of PodChat Live with uh, Ian Griffiths from last week. He said different shoes will do different things to different people at different times. It's kind of mm-hmm. like like Catherine Reimer said here. She I mean, she just slapped Nicky around the face and went, well, I love my Crocs. They help with my arthritis in my feet. So, Nicky, what are you going to say now? you know tell Catherine that she's not experiencing kind of alleviation through wearing her crocs tricky isn't it different people different times but yeah but i get what you think what you say about if in a healthy individual who you're trying to increase their ability to perform maybe and introduce variable input and challenges then yeah it makes sense doesn't it minimal shoe. I, I think
1: increase their awareness of what they're doing yeah. at any given time you know can you feel your big toe can you Can you feel how how the strength of your big toe might increase your stride length or might make things easier for you to walk by extending, you know, do-do-do-do-do? No, not if it's stuffed in a pair of shoes that don't move. Mm.
0: Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because as always in our industry, the pendulum can swing too far the other way. And I noticed that in the book, Kath, Catherine, i wasn't you wrote it uh james you were talking about how some people the pendulum swing so far that people are trying to walk on tiptoe they're trying to kind of avoid the heel strike for walking as well because they know that well when most people run or change direction quickly they kind of move to their toes so that must be the best way of doing everything but it was interesting what you said about that in the book if you could expand on that point <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs>
2: So again it's understanding the forces. So and to my to my mind, so the yeah, there was one guy in particular German slightly strange presentation. I mean he was like, Oh, I will prove to you that we are designed to forfeit strike and and his proof went along the lines of, Well, stand, step to the right. Step to the left, step behind you. What did you do? You forfeit strike. So therefore, I have proven my case. We should all forfeit strike. well, that's a different movement. That's not walking. Yeah. um And you know, there was another guy who's like, Oh, I've done my research, and everyone in the medieval times was uh, walking with a four foot strike. And I have been he dressed up in, in medieval garb. And, and yes, look at me. I used to have, and so my apologies for the sexist language. I am I'm paraphrasing him. But he said, I used to have the calves of a girl. But now, after three months of four foot striking, I have big manly calves. What? Well, yeah, that's because you're doing an exercise. You've changed the way in which you're moving and your forfeit striking. So you're having to work through gastrocnemius and not everything else, all of the, the plantar flexors to help decelerate your dorsiflexion. So your muscles are working. And the fact that your muscles are working and building kind of, to me, just kind of rings bells of, well, that's, to me, by my mind, that's inefficient if your muscles are having to work that hard to do something that we are actually, I would argue, evolved to do very efficiently with a minimal muscular input. Because we want to minimize the muscular input because um, we want to maximize our calorie intake and minimize the calorie output for movement. So it, it just doesn't doesn't make sense that we would use a lot of soft tissue on a lot of small bones when we could use, well, predominantly that strong, thick, fat pad and a strong, robust calcaneus with a, well, aligned big toe that allows us to have the range to give us a, a long stride with the heel strike. Anyway, so it's, for me, it's always, I go back to let's look at the, the, the form and how that, that feeds into fu- our, our function. He's not, is there is there an easy, efficient answer? And usually, so it's kind of, um, oh, God, I, Occam's Razor, it's the, the fewest steps in any kind of argument is usually the, the, the right one. Like, well, to me, it, it just doesn't hold up the, the four foot mm. strike as a walking strategy. It works for many people in a running strategy. It's, it's raining here.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah, they predicted it here as well. Some, yeah. yeah, well, that's a whole hour of chat, isn't it? Another chat about when it comes to running. Um, mm-hmm. But again, um, well, no, I'd love to go down that with you guys. We'll have to do a part two at some point. It's just, I'm just itching now to talk about four foot running. But no, not at all. But yeah, so it's just a warning, isn't it, that pendulum can swing too far. Um, yeah. Like, oh, I st- it still hurts me when I see people walking around the street with no shoes on. Personally. You know, and normally I I don't know. I don't want to generalize, but I can tell from their facial hair and and what they're (laughs) carrying that that they're doing it because uh, you know they feel that this is what we did millions of years ago. So that must have been best. It's kind of like the antiquated fallacy and that if, if we used to do it then we should be doing it now but i'm just waiting to step on a bit of glass or dog poo or you know it's just it's not it doesn't make sense or pick up some nasty disease i'm sorry blood, but we're not, blood
1: poisoning the, yeah the planes we
0: walk along now are, you know the, the pavements yes. at church square are not quite the same as the planes of africa or somewhere it's just three yeah but anyway
2: yeah, so my, my last last response is to me if, if we understand the form and heart functions then we can we can have health beliefs that are based on on an understanding rather than on a faith on an expectation on that that naturalistic fallacy that, that you mentioned it's like just, mm. just because they were doing it you know millions of years ago and we've evolved to do it therefore it must be right well actually there are things that we're doing better there are things that we're doing much worse mm. so and maybe yeah. sketch or a normal healthy foot is not better but there's certainly a useful tool for a foot to offload it yeah
0: there's um we've reached we've reached like 904 now i'm conscious i'm already keeping you past the allotted time but there's so much information in understanding the human foot about can i make it appear on the camera or is it there we go you can I see a little bit of it there we go um about footwear and thoughts and and again it's presented not in a you must do this or you mustn't do this it just presented in a really wonderful educative way to make you think and and i think that is something that can be passed on to your clients as well um it's not a black and white kind of like Haynes manual of how to work with the foot because we're human beings, we're not cars, so it's it's not all you know about the same mechanics. So wonderful book. So any questions we haven't managed to cover today, if listening to the podcast or watching it, then yeah, I encourage you that you have a look at Understand the Human Foot. Um produced by these fantastic people with information from James Earls and Lucy Whittle Wintle. they called you Whittle, sorry, Wintle. So, nice. yeah, we've run out of time. I'm sorry about that. It seems like, as always, we've got so much um, we could talk about. Um, I just noticed Anna Maria's in the house, Anna Maria Mazzieri, which has reminded me. Thanks, Fanny. You just prompted me fantastically. James, first, you've got some touring you're doing, aren't you? are doing are not you you got some courses coming up, and I believe. Yes, I have a course a coming, with, coming up with
2: Anna Maria uh, in November. Uh, I was doing a workshop we call Born to Move, which is uh, functional manual therapy. So it's, it's all manual therapy in standing with movement so it is both kind of assessment, treatments education exploration and learning of functional mapping all at the same time with minimal theory and pretty much all practical so we are doing that with anna maria Don in, in bristol, yeah, bristol
0: fantastic yep we'll make sure that everything that's mentioned now is in the show notes so keep talking but just in case you're there trying to scribble things down don't worry it will all be in the show notes.
2: and uh my other colleague, uh, Owen Lewis, is running a, a, a workshop in North London in September and October called Moves Into it, which is his his take on kind of a blending between the, the functional manual therapy that we do and the work that he's done with Diane Lee. So very, very precise, very, very rigorous, well thought through assessment procedure that's very, kind of both functional movement, tensingery kind of friendly and very clinical friendly. If you're familiar with Diane Lee's work, it's fantastic. Um, certainly recommend that and then myself and two other colleagues uh two personal trainers we run uh, evolution 101 we have a a summit coming up in november that's kind of part sponsored by Born to move and that'll be in suezan's university uh, in reasons park on november the 15th and it's called mind and movement matters we have quite a few interesting really excellent speakers i'm looking forward to that that sounds very good
0: fantastic all well, those three we'll make sure the dates and everything are in the show notes if you want to see the show notes people who've listened to this then head along either to the sta.co.uk um, all the episodes with the show notes and details and links are put on the sta website so the sta.co.uk or uh, they also appear at podbean who um host this podcast you can find them on either of those and i try and copy and paste them into youtube as well might not be there Straight away but i do copy invention to youtube thank you for those and lucy what have you got coming up
1: i have a wealth of information on my website so i have a video library all the um book exercises have been filmed and they are within the uh, membership area um on the uh, on the website they are there's also a brand called hexology which i'm developing which deals more with um Aging uh, and the prevention of uh, foot weakness and, and everything associated with not getting old. So trying to prevent uh, muscle muscle loss, uh, taking action now before it, it gets too late, really. But also really focusing on balance and feet first. So just program, pro- programming that into almost everything that I do
0: fantastic so people listening to the podcast you won't have seen but i'll just put it up on the screen once more um if you go to canterbury uk, um that's uh, lucy's website there's a whole load of information on there to do with classes yeah. obviously um and then feet first hexology hexology let me remind me we talked a little bit of that off air yeah what that was about. Uh, what's
1: that kind of six blending together everything that i now know and do so six pillars uh, pilates wellness feet first and balance, muscle mass. So a lot of uh, trying to encourage people to to use weights. Um, A lot of people in Pilates won't use weights. They're they're nervous of weights. They don't like working with uh, big fat dumbbells, but trying to encourage them to to really improve their muscle mass um, because there's a massive drop-off, you know, as we start to age. So it's being aware, really, of the things that you do now and their importance for 20 years time so taking action now rather than leaving it till it's too late
0: sounds fantastic there we go so yeah hosting information on that website again the links will be on the show notes okay so um that's it people um thank you so much for joining us live um just before you go just to let you know next week and we're going to do next week. We haven't got another guest. We're going to have a little recap over the three episodes we've had. That'll be quite a regular feature, I think. Rather than just filling you with information, bam, 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 bam. We're going to take a pause, sit back, reflect. And I'll be looking at the last three episodes we've had and the information that I've taken away from it. Um, and also we'll have people dropping in from the STA team. So I'm hoping, uh, I think Dr. Fiona Higgs from the Women in Sports Therapy podcast will be coming on to chat with us. Gary might be here. Scott, um, who's doing a wonderful series of clinical videos and coffee chat mornings with the sta i think he's popping in after rugby training so that will be next week um a great way to find out about the sta join us live or listen to the podcast once it's been uploaded and then in august a uh, bit of a disjointed month in august mainly because i'm going to cypress for two weeks so what we're going to do <laughs> is the first two weeks of august will be mike grice will be at the helm he'll be looking after the show and he's going to be uh bringing guests uh, dr claire minshaw will be around um, also Tim Allardyce will be back as well. And they'll be having some great chats with uh, Mike for two weeks. And then, like I said earlier on in the next three weeks, because August is a five week month, um, I'll be back and we'll be looking. I've got some great guests lined up and we'll be looking at the knee. Somehow, I don't think it'll be exclusion from the rest of the body. But we'll be looking,
1: <laughs> specialising
0: in different parts of the knee, and and yeah, it'll be very similar to uh, this. But we'll be looking at some common um, issues and conditions you'll see, and, and looking at the bigger picture, turning those binoculars the proper way around instead of the wrong way around, which happens so much on courses. So um, I'm going to sign you guys out, Lucy and James. If you can hang around, I'm just going to shut down the live lounge, and we'll just I'll just say thank you quickly to you once we've gone. Thank you. But yeah. People who joined us live, thank you so much. I um, really appreciate it. Some great questions as well. Lovely to see you in here. Um, and people who are listening to the podcast, thank you again. Um, it's so nice to see uh, downloads are staying strong. I'm really, really happy about that because it means hopefully people are listening and engaging and learning. Um, if you want to show um, support for our speakers and us, then simply leave a, um, a rating. Five is always my favorite choice. Um, and the reviews are really great as well takes moments if you're on an iphone and one of the good things about an iphone in fact probably the only good thing about an iphone is that you can just leave a review on apple podcasts in seconds if it's android like i say you've got to kind of wait for full moon and switch go to itunes and do something very complicated but iphone users then uh, please just go and leave a review for the sports therapy association podcast right that's it i'll see you next week people if you join me live um, take care of each other and we'll speak soon You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.